Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. My name is Brandon Fong, and man, I am so grateful for you being here, investing in yourself to learn and grow, and I am also beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, John Berghoff. The questions are so important that they they change the future, even before the answers arrive. Talk about a mic drop. Questions are so important that they change the future even before the answers arrive. If that isn't a hint at some of the mind-bending conversation you're about to listen in on. I don't know what is, but first, let me tell you a little bit more about John. John is the founder of The Exchange Approach, a scientific approach to unlocking collective wisdom in any group. These are extraordinary times which call for exponential conversations, which is why innovative leaders have run to exchange as the solution for bringing together companies, communities, and customers in powerful ways. Before COVID-19, exchange was leaned on by companies like Facebook, BMW, and Costco to facilitate powerful, large-scale conversations when the stakes were highest. Since the COVID-19 outbreak, change agents of every type, coaches, consultants, and thought leaders are using exchange to create connection, community, and accelerated learning in every manageable environment, all of it digitally, of course, and over 15,000 coaches, consultants, and changes are now using this approach to redefine how we unlock potential at scale through transformational learning experiences. There is so much to look forward to in today's episode, but as always, I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, the kind of AI that could transform the way that you build a life based on your strengths. And when I say AI, I'm actually not talking about artificial intelligence. It's a different kind of AI. So you have to hang on to find out what that is, but it is powerful. Number two, how you can change your reality by shifting the lens that you view your life through. And as a hint, it has a big part to do with questions as per the quote that John shared above and pay attention to purpose questions specifically and what that has to do with me changing some diapers. (laughs) And number three, how you can scale up curiosity and what that had to do with an airline leveraging one simple shift in the way that they asked a question to unlock an entirely new wave of positive solutions. So I tell the story of how I met John to kick off the episodes so I don't want to spoil any more surprises, but suffice to say that he is one stellar human and I'm just beyond grateful for both him and his work. So without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, John Berghoff. Greetings, everyone. Oh my gosh, I am beyond excited for today's interview with an amazing human being. And I actually wanted to start this episode a little bit differently because normally I would just put this in the intro 100%, but I wanted to share a story about how this human came into my life. So I was at Benjamin Hardy's live event in July of 2023, and I walked in and on the first day, what became really apparent was Ben wasn't on the stage. There was somebody else whose name I'd heard of before, but had never met. And uh, that is the guest that we're going to hang out with today, John Berghoff and his wife, Adair Kate. And uh, Ben has been on the show twice. And one of the books he co-wrote was Who Not How with Dan Sullivan. And, you know, instead of figuring out how to do something, just find a who. And Ben eventually, you know, talked about later. He's like, why would I try to run an event when I could literally bring in people that are literally the best in the world, some of the best of that world at, at facilitating. And so not only was Ben's event one of the most transformative, transformative experiences I've ever been a part of, but 
as I was taking notes on the content, I'm equally feverishly taking notes on how they're facilitating. I'm like, what is it? I'm trying to like reverse engineer it. And uh, as, as I kind of like, I found out at the end, they have a whole process, a whole methodology. So then I went down the rabbit hole. I went to their OXC uh, event. And this is stuff that is so needed in today's world. And so when I found out that that John was doing this kind of stuff and learned more about how I can upgrade my connection skill set, um, it just became apparent that this is a human that I really wanted to get to know. So uh, John, I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you for the way you show up. Thank you for what you do. And so excited to dive in, my friend. This is going to be a blast. Hey, thanks, Brandon. I, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Really happy to be here. Oh my gosh. So there's so many different places that we can go. And <laughs> I picked one place that I thought would be fun to start that would overlap uh, another guest that we've had on the show. So um, one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded was with uh, one of your best friends, Hal Elrod, episode 102. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I found out mm -hmm. that you guys had a really fun part of your relationship where you shared a one-room studio <laughs> that had one bed. And so I would love for you to oh, talk a little man. bit about the fall of 2000 potentially what Jet Moto had to play into it and <laughs> what, what you learned about hanging out with Hal in that time. Oh my gosh. Well, I, you know, I, I want to appreciate something I heard you say a second ago because it's related to Hal and you and I met at Ben Hardy's event and that little story you just told about Ben, I didn't know you were going to, you know, mention how we met. And one of the things I admire about Ben is he is somebody who uh, absolutely lives what he teaches, right? And and I think that's you know something I I try and aspire to do when I can. And um, that's actually I've known Hal Elrod since 1999, 24 years ago. And yeah, we were roommates. And um, one of the things, and I I know a lot about Hal more than I probably have the freedom to tell you all. But uh, <laughs> you know, I just want to give a compliment. Hal is someone who's wrote this book, The Miracle Morning, and anyone who's ever talked with him or met with him or hung out with him. It's very common for people to acknowledge him as someone who's authentic. Uh, he is comfortable being who he is. And he's always been that way. And he's always been someone who's lived what he has taught, even way back when. So that that's the first inside scoop I'll give you on how, you know, a decade before the book or anyone knew him, he was living the things that he teaches today very authentically. So it's I, I had no idea you'd ask about how it's fun to Fun to think about that. No, I, I love it. So I would love to, because part of the reason why I wanted to start here is because I, as I said before, there's been a bunch of guests on the show that I just love and respect and their work is incredible. And they all came from one spot and it was Cutco. <laughs> and so I know that part of like living with how is you guys were both just pursuing your big goals and, and learning how to transform as human beings while pursuing uh, selling knives, changing lives was just really transformational. So maybe talk a little bit about some of the shenanigans and what you learned as a result of, you know, pursuing your, your Cutco goals and how that maybe started you off in your career as well. Sure. I'm happy to. And, um, you know, the word shenanigans is certainly a, a fair choice <laughs> because as you, as you're observing, I was uh, 17, 18 years old, and Hal was maybe a couple years older than me at that time when we met. And, um, you know, Cutco for me and for Hal and others who you've met was uh, almost indescribable how important that experience was for me as not just as somebody to get to learn about entrepreneurship, but even in just what it did for me personally in my life. And the, the part of my Cutco story that is you know, beyond just the fact that I, I eventually did really well was it, 
I've stumbled into that opportunity, Brandon, at a time in my life when I was not thriving. And actually to say I was not thriving is it's almost like a, an understatement. I was, uh, in fact, high school for me was four of the most difficult years in my entire life. Uh, for an assortment of reasons, I was in four different schools within a five-year period. And what that led to was I was uh, socially, mentally, psychologically, I mean, every way you could imagine, I was in a very, very low point. I mean, I was, uh, I know you, you have an, an interest in not only curiosity, but building community. And so much of what that's about is understanding the value of connection and people being seen and heard by each other. And what does that mean? Well, for me, at that time in my life, I was afraid to be seen, literally. Uh, I was, I would hide in the library during lunchtime for years on end in high school. And the, re the only reason I'm sharing this with you is because entrepreneurship through Cutco and the incredible culture they had became a, uh, it was kind of like a way out for me. It was a way out of a very difficult path. I, I wasn't accepted to any college that I applied to. So I kind of had to like find my own way. And, and they were a culture that enabled anybody, regardless of their background or their capability or experience to be able to develop some real world skills and strengths that are still really important for me today. So I give a lot of credit to being a, a part of a culture like that, that cared more about the development of people than I think about, you know, driving their business and obviously one leads to the other. So that was an important mm. time for me. Well, let's zoom in on that. Can you talk to us a little bit about Dan Cassetta and the impact that he made on your life? Yeah, my gosh, you you know everybody from my past. I, <laughs> I love it. Well, Dan was like my first mentor. You know, he was the office manager in San Jose, California. I grew up in the Bay Area. And um, he was like the person who introduced to me, or at least first person who got my attention with it, with this idea that, uh, in life, our the things that we achieve or our ability to succeed will seldom exceed the degree to which we develop ourselves. And Brandon, I was I was like 17 years old. I wasn't some virtuous young man. I was just thinking, well, my life sucks. And what if he's right? <laughs> like, <laughs> what if he's right? And so I got really curious. Because even though I essentially failed out of um, kind of traditional education, and I'm sure some of your listeners and friends and peers who are entrepreneurs can relate to this, like just because we couldn't make it in that traditional environment, it didn't mean we weren't, we didn't have a curiosity. And so I got so curious about, at first, on business, entrepreneurship, like, oh, this is interesting. Like the degree to which I can create value for others, I can be rewarded and like, even if it's not always easy, it's that simple. And then realizing, oh, if I learn how to motivate myself from within and build resilience and you know, all these little lessons and Dan teaching me that uh, life won't get any easier. And just remember the context that I just laid out, like, oh, that's not good. But he said, life won't get easier, but your skills can get better. And I know that kind of, you know, trivial cliche advice, at least it could sound like that. Um, but for someone like me at that time in my life, it, it was everything. So Dan is still someone who the lessons he taught me 
20 plus years ago, they reverberate for me today, Brandon. And I've been, I've been fortunate to have, um, a handful of Dan's along the way. So I, I love that you asked about Dan. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, we'll dive into some other versions of Dan as we continue the conversation, but I want to, I want to kind of maybe loop back to Hal, not necessarily for Hal, but more for the context of like, there's some gaps here. Cause it's like, if they, if they heard your bio, they know some of the stuff that you've done and you know, you clearly went from introverted, although I, I think you would probably maybe say that that hasn't changed, but like the way that that has showed up in the world of, of hiding, literally hiding out in the library to becoming one of the top sales reps inside of Cutco seems like a pretty big jump. So maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about some of the journey that you went on in, in how you we're able to kind of bridge that gap between being that person that was literally hiding in the library to one of the top sales reps at an organization with millions of people in it. Yeah, well, and and I think the interesting point to, to your point about what I do today, you know, today I, I for somehow I, I am this person who gets to teach leaders and lead leaders and how they lead others, and that's um, it's it's deeply fulfilling. And much of what I do today that you've had the chance to, to witness, I can actually trace the lineage all the way back to my earliest experiences. And it's taken me a, a, actually a few decades to really process like this question that you're asking, like how did, how did I go from wherever there to whatever here is? And um, I had a, a teacher of mine, Brandon, uh, a few years ago who pointed something out to me and he said, you know, John, all of us um, eventually end up doing work in our lives that we may or may not realize it, but in some ways is aiming to redeem or, or heal some part of our wounded younger self. And I remember when I heard that thinking, really, is that true for me? <laughs> um, and what's interesting is when I look back decades, I finally can see that like I, I, I struggled, I, I, I thought I struggled to learn, but what was really going on is I was struggling to learn because I struggled to feel this experience of belonging. And it's only in the last five years that, you know, we've surrounded ourselves here at Exchange with a, a world-renowned faculty. I mean, I, I am not a a scientist, a researcher, an academic, but I've gotten to learn from and work with some of the smartest people on the planet. And we now realize like, oh, if we want to be able to think differently or solve problems or create a future that's different from today um, or even change or even transform, what I've eventually come to realize is we actually do all those things better if we actually feel this experience of belonging right? What you might refer to as community. So it took me a long time to realize that Cutco actually enabled me to develop and tap into some strengths. But part of the reason why is because they had the kind of culture where you could be yourself, whoever you were, and still fit in. Hmm. And it took me decades to realize that every one of us, actually our biology drives us even unconsciously to want to know the answer to that question. And I eventually realized that's why that organization does so well is because they give anybody, no matter who you are, at least a chance, no matter who you are, to be a part of what they've got going on. So that was one of the many gifts that they gave me. I love that. Well, I'm so excited to dive into all these different components of the seeds that you just dropped about 
building community by connecting to purpose. Um, and so I, I know we won't have all the time. I know you have so much content. You have days of content. You host whole workshops, but man, <laughs> you are the you are the person to dive into to the topic of curiosity and 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 uh, AI that is in my mind an argument that is better than the current AI, which is appreciative inquiry. You know some of the impact that that has and the different mm -hmm. types of questions. So you know one of the things you just talked about is like the sense of community that happens, and and I know that part of your content is part of what creates community is a connection to a purpose. And so I, with, with the idea that in this conversation, we're going to continue to explore curiosity and appreciative inquiry, I thought maybe it'd be cool if you'd be open, John, to, to maybe almost walk us through connecting to why that's so important as we continue to explore this this conversation and maybe lead us through if you'd be open to how, how, we, how we can connect leveraging a purpose question to these topics of curiosity and appreciative inquiry. Sure. Well, you know, there's a few things that you're raising here, which is uh, the topic of community, the the invitation to talk about curiosity and this this specific point you're raising about purpose. Um, there's a lot of things I think we could explore. I think a good starting point would be this, and that is the the power of a question and uh, the power of a question to not only help us affect or change our thinking, uh, here's a good way of thinking about it. So a question is kind of like a lens, right? And like if I were to put a lens in front of my eyes and anybody who's ever put a prescription lens in front of their eyes, we can all relate that that lens, it changes the world that we see even before we open our eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And questions are like that for our minds. They also become that for the conversations that we have and that's a big deal. And in fact, it's such a big deal in our world, um, you know, just to get attention. We like to say it this way, that questions are so important that they, um, they change the future even before the answers arrive. And mm. so, you know, I'm, I'm a playful guy and I take a lot of things lightly, but we give a lot of reverence to the art or even the science of designing questions. And there's, there's uh, overwhelming evidence for this too, that great questions not only help us as individuals to elevate our thinking, but in groups, in teams, in environments where we come together to think, learn, create, solve, connect, whatever it is, uh, questions are the nucleus that spark everything important in these environments. So one of the many types of questions that you're raising is the invitation to connect to a sense of meaning or purpose. And if I may, Brandon, I'd love to um, share a little parable that we love to tell that comes with this question. Yeah, okay, cool. So if anyone's listening right now, uh, they could anybody could contemplate this question. Why is whatever I do important or meaningful or fulfilling, right? In fact, Brandon, I'll just give you this question, right? Why is this moment right now, why is hosting this podcast, Beyond Curious, uh, why is it meaningful, fulfilling, or important for you? And then there's a temptation to do several things. There's a temptation for any of us to want to rush towards the answer or even dismiss answering it altogether because we might think, well, I don't need to answer that. I'm here. You're here. We all know this is important, but that's not the point. See, one of the things we've learned, Brandon, about the power of a great question is not only the question, but what happens if we invite ourselves and others to actually slow down, to create space 
for new or different answers to emerge, like to even just breathe a little more deeply. And then as we think about this question, instead of answering it, think about this parable. So I'm walking down the center of the town I live in. I'm here in uh, Hudson, Ohio, with one of my kids, uh, Sierra. She's 12. And we come upon these three bricklayers, and maybe you've heard a version of this, right? And Sierra, curious as she is, she asks the first bricklayer, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why is this important? And anyone who has heard this parable, they know how this goes, that first bricklayer gives an answer and it's along the lines of, well, I got to pay the bills, right? And let's just say there's nothing um, uh, good, bad, right, or wrong with any of these answers. And then Sierra goes to the second bricklayer, doing the same work side by side with the first bricklayer, asking the same question, why is what you're doing important? And, you know, the moral of this whole story starts to get revealed, right? That the same question asked of somebody doing the same work can still actually reveal a completely different answer. And one of the lessons there is the reminder that we have a freedom uh, in how we answer these questions. And we, the best we can remember that, that can help us. Second bricklayer says, well, I'm here because this is how I align what I do with a work opportunity, right? You get the point. And then the third bricklayer, same question, doing the same work, Brandon. Just like three entrepreneurs could listen to this conversation who do the same thing, but could have three completely different answers. Third bricklayer says, well, I'm here because we're building a concert hall and one day musicians will play music that I'll never hear that'll change the lives of people I'll never even meet, right? And so you asked about questions that connect us to purpose. And this is a really interesting line of inquiry because from all the work that we've done, what we've seen is not only how important it is to invite questions where people individually and collectively can think about their purpose, but also to make sure there's the space and the encouragement for people to experiment with, you know, childlike wonder and in an unconstrained way to allow their answers to evolve. Uh, maybe purpose is not a thing that you find or discover, uh, but instead something you create, architect, craft anytime you want. And that's actually, that can be liberating. So. I'll stop, Brandon, but, um, you know, you asked about questions that connect us to purpose, and you know, that's just one example in a way of thinking about it. And if I could say just one more thing on this because of your interest in community, um, one of my teachers, several of my teachers, Drs. Ron Fry and David Cooperrider, uh, who are pioneers in uh, a methodology that you referenced called appreciative inquiry, they developed this over 40 years ago. And uh, in the last 10 years, they have observed something very interesting about purpose and the effect it can have inside of a community or any group, a team, an organization, or any group of people that come together. And here's what it is. It's the realization that if we want to help people as individuals to come alive, which many of us do, it's very easy to believe that the way to help people as individuals to come alive is to focus on them as individuals. And I would never argue the truth in that. If I focus on you as an individual, I can help you come alive. And there's a sensible sequence that we make up in our minds that says, if we help people come alive as individuals, then they as a community, a team, an organization will do better work, and then therefore they will help create a better world. And I'm not gonna negate or debate that sensible sequence, but there's a theory that David and Ron put forward maybe a decade ago that I have witnessed is an alternative answer to what is the most powerful way 
for any group of people to come alive. And it's actually not to direct our attention solely on people as individuals, but instead to invite those individuals to ask a question, what is our shared highest collective purpose in this world? And if we look at systems thinking, what we often think is a line is actually a loop. And it's amazing how in teams, organizations, and communities, people as individuals can actually come alive in many cases more naturally, faster, more effectively than any other way by beginning by drawing their attention to how is it that we collectively are making the most positive, lasting difference in this world. Just a very interesting um, observation for whatever it's worth. So I'll stop there because as you could tell, I just There's so talking. much to unpack. There's so much to unpack. <laughs> I mean, just a, a few things. I, I love that parable and it doesn't get old every single time I hear it. So I'm grateful that you shared it. But one one of the nuances that I picked up on this parable more recently is I think that, like you said, we think that purpose is this huge overarching thing that we discover. Lots of people think that, but it's rather an ongoing thing. And I think that one of my core values I call conscious storytelling. I believe that the stories that we tell ourselves shape our reality, just like the questions that we say shape our reality. And so we have the ability in every, any given moment to tell a different story. And so in that parable, what showed up for me recently is that you don't have to have something. Well, let me, let me say it this way. I'll just use an example. We were talking before we connected on, I have a new baby daughter in the other room the other mm. day. And I was, I was connecting to the purpose of changing her diaper the other day because I was changing her diaper. And, <laughs> and, and, and I thought it was, but it was fun. Cause it's like, you can view it as changing a diaper, which would be the first bricklayer. I'm trying, you know, don't need a poopy diaper or, I could say I'm investing in giving love to this human being that could dramatically impact the world, right? And it's the same mm, thing. I'm, cha I'm changing nice. a diaper. But but the the frame of connecting to that purpose doesn't necessarily have to be on your whole life scale. It can be on a moment-to-moment -moment scale. It could be doing the dishes and how that's going to, you know, make your your home more of a friendly environment, in, in, inviting place to be. And so I think it's a choice that we constantly get to make is the opportunity to connect to purpose in any given moment, not necessarily, even though I do view the power of connecting to what your current purpose is, um, there's an opportunity to do that in any given moment. So I love that so much. And, and I'm sure, so feel free to comment on that, but I, I would love to go deeper on purpose questions because I think an actionable takeaway that anyone can have is something really small in this moment is one of the things you teach is the power of asking a purpose question simply to start a meeting, you know? So it's like anybody mm -hmm. that's listening to this is a part of meetings and whether it's your company or you're a part of somebody else's meetings and, and simply can change the entire meeting by asking one question in the beginning. I know that's one of the ones that you ask. So um, feel free to take that where you want to go with it. But I think teaching people how we could simply ask a purpose question at the beginning to change the entire direction of whatever that is to come after it, I think would be really powerful to explore as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a this is a ritual of ours, and uh, I could give several examples here just to illuminate what you're talking about. And you know, just for a little context, you know, we met you, Brandon, where you saw us facilitating, like you said, a two and a half day learning experience amongst a group of students of Dr. Benjamin Hardy's, and. Um, uh, on the rare occasion that I will get on a plane, that was one of four times I got on an airplane this year. <laughs> My goal wow. was three and I had Ben talked me into one more. Uh, I don't travel much these days because we can do everything we're talking about online. Um, but when I travel, it's usually rooms full of leaders. And just last month, I had two of these trips and one was a, a leadership summit for the top 500 leaders of one of the largest technology companies in the world. Everyone would know their name. I'm not at liberty to say it, but we began that 
three-day leadership summit by exploring a conversation in the room in, 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 in this company, and I give them a lot of credit, instead of having their CEO stand on the stage and tell everybody why being here this week is so important. And keep in mind, they're one of the five largest in the world. Uh, they're, they're, their customer base is humanity, right? So <laughs> the, the CEO could have got up and said, here's why our work is important. But the CEO made a decision once they understood our approach and said, no, 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 no. I don't wanna begin this leadership summit by telling everybody, let's use exchange and ask everybody. And I'll just give you one example that they, we had a conversation in the room and then I invited four or five, six of their voices to hold the microphone and almost ceremoniously declare. And, you know, one individual stood up and said, look, we're, we're doing business literally in every country, at least nearly. And um, we are a force for good in this world and we can change geopolitical dynamics just by how we do business. And so if anyone's listening, just think about this for a moment. Option A is the CEO gets up and tells everybody why everything we do is important. Option B is what I'm telling you, which is what we did, where an employee stands up and says what I just said. The next employee got up and said, you know, our work affects the way people live and work every single day. And when the, the people in the audience, when we turn the attention from the stage to the audience, and they become not just students, listeners, learners, or employees, but teachers, leaders, and their voices are filling the room, that is magnificent. Uh, I'll give you a different example. Uh, the training that you attended, right? Which is like our flagship vehicle for teaching folks like yourself over three days. How do we design and facilitate transformational experiences? And as you saw, we begin that training with a, a variation of a purpose question every single time. And you know, what's really interesting is by, by beginning the training that way, by asking everybody in the room, you know, why are you here? What change are you here to support in the world? And then moving from the large group, the training you came through, they're probably two, 250 students, and we break everyone into small groups, and they talk about it, and they listen to, and they learn from, and they co-elevate each other's answers. And then, and then five, six, seven, eight people actually bring those into the plenary session when they all come back. And what's fascinating, Brandon, is everybody comes to our training to learn, right? To learn a skill, a scalable skill set, to lead groups, great. But what they discover very quickly, even just through that opening exercise, is that when groups come together, while our first reason to be here may be to learn, to think, to solve, to create, whatever those reasons are, and those are sometimes very personal or intellectual reasons, there's other reasons too. The second one being, how do we connect? How do we relate? And sometimes that's explicit or implicit. But then in our model of the world, Brandon, there's something else that's possible. It's not just the intellectual capital that we can deliver on. It's not just the uh, relational or social capital of people connecting. But if we do this in a way where people actually experience what we call communal capital, a sense of belonging, there's a, um, there's a biological case for this. There's a business case for this. We are actually wired as human beings so that the faster we experience belonging, psychological safety, the faster we bring the parts of our brains online that can actually think differently, create, solve, tap into that place of flow, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so when you're asking about, hey, uh, the way we use a purpose question early in a gathering, what we're doing there is we're not only inviting people to connect to their personal sense of purpose, but do it in a way where they're actually connecting with each other in a way where they actually feel a sense of belonging, which actually enables their brains and their bodies to fully come online. And if someone's listening going, oh, that sounds like a lot of stuff, that must be complicated. Well, we could make it complicated, but the experience is actually beautifully, purposefully simple, uh, which is an important goal. <laughs> I'll stop there. I don't know what that brings up for you. It brings up infinite directions, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just would encourage you listening to think about I'll give you one way that I've applied this. It was just super, super easy. I finished the OXC training and then I went to, uh, I was having a client kickoff meeting and I, I very simply started like, what is the importance of why we're all here right now? And I, I, using the exchange methodology, I encourage people to think about it from their perspective, from others' perspective, and then from the world. Why is it important that you are here personally? Why is it important that you're here for others? And why is it important for the world that you're here? And, and that simple thing is just so powerful. So whether you're doing that for a client kickoff call, or maybe the next time you have dinner with with your family. I feel like these are all things that we can ask on, on th that will just change the entire experience after it. So I love the simplicity of that and the belonging and security and safety that that invites. And also what you touched on that is so important is like the moving from if you are facilitating a conversation amongst people instead of being prescriptive to crowdsourcing and leveraging the collective wisdom of the of the room to share. Uh, and, and that comes across and is accepted a lot easier if you've done the right curation than if you were to just tell someone what it, what it is. So this has been so powerful, John. I, I want to want to zoom up a little bit because we zoomed into the purpose questions, but I want to I want to zoom up to appreciative inquiry uh, more more in general. Um, and you have this model that, uh, like, I think it's just so perfect for beyond curious. But you have this whole model inside of your training called scaling up curiosity, um, and and mm -hmm. how we can leverage the power of the frame of the question to really highlight uh, so many different things. And I think we already kind of almost got some some uh, possibility of what what's what the options are when we ask a purpose question, but maybe would you mind sharing a little bit about how we can scale up curiosity and uh, why that's a central tenet for appreciative inquiry? Yeah, yeah, I love this invitation, and and I would say, you know, why does why does this conversation even matter to me? And maybe that resonates for somebody else. You know, our purpose as a company and with all of our work is to figure out how do we unlock potential when groups of people come together. And in some of the words that you used, we use as well. Like how do we enable transformational gatherings, meetings, events, experiences? You think about how much people invest uh, individually and collectively into coming together in these different group settings and how much opportunity is available. But the reality is there's often a uh, lot of opportunity still left on the table if we don't understand that there is a way and a reason why we should want to tap into the actual collective wisdom that is in any group. So that's our aspiration. And one of the things that it's led us to learn very clearly is that uh, if we want to tap into that collective potential, Instead of thinking about like you you and I were talking uh, a, a few minutes ago about, you know, your aspirations around bringing groups together, um, but doing it in a way that it truly is honoring and leveraging the wisdom of the people that come together. So think about this for a second. 
some of the ways that we often design or lead meetings, if we're not aware of it, might be guided by philosophies or paradigms that made a lot more sense at a different time in history. Uh, just to put it really simply, the idea that when a group of, like we, I met you at Ben Hardy's event, Ben is a genius. <laughs> They're all there because of the books that he wrote. And yet you walk in and you're like, why isn't Ben on the stage? Because Ben realized as much as he understands transformation, what he's even more curious about is what enables it in a group. And it's not him being the one person with the answers. It's actually him and us together designing the questions that invite the wisdom from everybody. So scaling up curiosity is kind of the necessity. And uh, it's a nice sounding phrase. And then the next question is, well, how do you do it? And it begins by whoever the owner, leader, teacher, coach, convener, community builder is, they themselves have to be willing to stop and say, am I willing to not just be the sage on the stage, but the guide on the side that wants to tap into and invite and unlock the potential wisdom, strengths, ideas that are sitting in every audience. Brandon, not everybody is able to get past their internal barriers to even use an approach like this because they remain just more fixated on what they know versus what happens if we invite what others know. And that's, that, that's a very real issue, right? Well, once we are interested in this, now we got to become students of question design. And this is where in uh, the early 1980s, when Dr. David, or at the time he was a PhD student, David Cooper Ryder, was a student at um, Case Western Reserve University, the Weatherhead School of Management. And David, um, yeah, I first met him 12 years ago. I was an executive at the Vitamix Corporation. And um, I was learning from him about this methodology that had been born decades ago. And what I was fascinated by, Brandon, is I, I've had this feeling as a young executive so I was in my, like your age, you're about to turn 28. Is that right? Yeah. I'm tw I was 27 and I was brought in to be the head of sales for an iconic company, Vitamix. that was already around for almost a hundred years operating in 80 countries. And I had one little voice in my head that said, John, you're really smart. You're the man. You're going to, you're going to crush this. <laughs> and I had another little voice in my head that said, John, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> And, um, you know, maybe we can all relate to those moments. And, and you know, some of us, that's, we, we seek out and try and create that experience. And Jody Berg, Brandon, was the fourth generation great-granddaughter of the founder of Vitamix. Uh, it was founded in 1921. And Jody, um, she gave me an amazing gift. And she invited a very authentic, transparent relationship with me. And she said, John, let me just let you in on something. You're not in charge of this huge responsibility because we think you have all the answers. We think you're actually willing to lead in the way that we would encourage because what you're about to try and do, there is no one person that's going to have the answers. And she was the one who said leadership is no longer about knowing, telling, and controlling. It's about asking, inviting, and unlocking. And talk about a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> and for the next five years, we grew from 175 to 600 people and 40 to almost $200 million. And 
that philosophy was key to me not screwing it all up. <laughs> I can't take the credit, you know, we had an amazing product, but I like to say I didn't fuck it all up. <laughs> yeah. And Brandon, you'd asked about appreciative inquiry. Well, appreciative inquiry was one of the methods that I learned about from the creator himself, David Cooperwriter, because our company had hired him. And what David taught me is that it's not just the importance of asking questions, but the right types of questions. And in the last 20 to 30 years, um, Brandon, have you ever taken an assessment to evaluate your strengths, like what you're good at? I've taken all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Colby, so, Strengths Finder, give me, give me one, whatever, I've taken it. <laughs> yeah, so, so here's the point. The reason why you and tens of millions of professionals and kids now have taken these types of assessments is because there's an overwhelming body of evidence. There's a Mount Everest of hundreds of studies and peer-reviewed studies that have validated we are all way better off if we come to the table and say, what are our strengths? In fact, David Cooperider, who eventually um, uh, got to work directly with uh, Peter Drucker, who's written more about management and leadership than anybody in history, when he asked Peter Drucker, Peter, you've written more than anyone on this, like, how would you explain what's the role of a leader in a sentence? And this is before, obviously, Peter passed on. And he said, David, in my opinion, it's simple. It's to align the strengths of a system, or I would argue a person, so much so that the weaknesses become irrelevant. So David Cooperwriter in the early 80s, Brandon, I know I'm, I'm not going in a linear order. That's how my brain works. So apologies. Uh, so good. David in the early 80s was a young PhD student doing work with the Cleveland Clinic. And one of the things that David realized is that traditional consulting, where we ask questions like what's broken, what's wrong, or what's missing, makes a lot of sense. In fact, our biology drives us to be really good at seeing what's broken, what's wrong, or what's missing. What David and his advisors and his peers discovered is that if we ask different questions, we get a very different outcome. And what they eventually stumbled into is the realization that we can ask questions that instead of putting a lens in front of our eyes that fixates on the deficit, what's lacking, what's missing, we can solve problems, not by ignoring them, but asking a different type of question. One that focuses on possibility, that learns from when we have succeeded, what is working and what we ultimately want to create. Ultimately questions that invite us from a place of strength. Let me just make this very straightforward. One of my kids brings home a report card, true story. And uh, it's got a handful of A's and maybe a B and maybe a C. And I ask, and I look at her report card and I know that I should focus on the A's. And I'm saying in my mind, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But then what do I say? What, what do I blurt out of my mouth? It's uncontrollable. Hey, how'd you get the C? And of course she walks away. That's not an inspiring conversation. And five minutes later, we drive to soccer practice. That was the end, which by the way, that's not that different from everyday life and work where you don't, we don't have the luxury of time. We got to ask a good question because we might only get one shot at it. And so what we've seen in our work is that in that situation, I would have been way better off saying, how'd you get these A's? And everybody knows the answer. What would have happened if I would have asked that? Would she have been more motivated? Yes. She would have stayed in the conversation. How does that feel? What can you learn from that? Even if we never even address the B's or the C, more likely that you'll actually solve 
those lower grades just by studying how did she get the A's, right? So appreciative inquiry is a strength-based approach to enabling change in a person or a group. And it is one of a number of methodologies that is foundational that we have kind of built on and from at Exchange. So I'll stop there. Um, hopefully that gives a little backdrop on what that's oh, 100%, all about. 100% it gives a backdrop. So so I always like like taking stuff and experimenting with it right away. So we already talked about the purpose question, how you can maybe ask a question in front of a, a meeting or the next gathering that you have and how you can do it. So how how can we leverage scaling up curiosity? There's another example that I pulled from your train that I love so much. I'd, I'd love for you to share it. And I think this will kind of highlight some of the ways that we can begin to think this way. You, you gave another example about the airline industry, how they were trying to fix their lost baggage problem, but they ask a different question. So maybe, maybe would you mind sharing that a little bit? Because I think just getting into this habit of instead of asking the question, how do I get to this goal from a uh, deficit perspective, like asking slightly, just tweaking it slightly, even though you're you're answering the same thing, completely changes what we're even capable of seeing. So I think that example would help or maybe other ways that we could just like actually start implementing this like starting today or tomorrow. Yeah, 100%. I'll, I'll respond to the one you're asking about and then give two or three more. And by the way, I don't want to forget, and you and I didn't talk about this, but um, we just created a resource. I mean, literally, hey. I was told. I was told, uh, "What's today, Brandon? Is today Wednesday? Today's or Tuesday." Tuesday. I, Tuesday. I was told <laughs> yesterday <laughs> that um, Adair Cates on our team just recorded a video, and it comes with a workbook. We we actually created this as a gift for our our students, um, and I'm happy to just give it out to anyone who's listening to this. There's no strings attached. Um, uh, and just remind me, we'll, we'll, I'll give you a URL, yeah. but uh, it's a video that is a, it comes with not only a set of presencing practices, meditations, breath work, contemplative practices that you blend with coaches to look back on your year and look ahead on the next year, led by Adair, which is incredible. Um, uh, so don't forget, let's give people how they can go get that. It's super cool. And there's, sure. again, just go take it and use it and they can actually use it, just push play and lead groups through it. Um, but I'll give you uh, some examples. So, uh, yeah, the airline was about to launch a whole project, a series of meetings based on this question, how do we fix our last baggage problem? Which, you know, any entrepreneur who's listening to this conversations, they would say, well, yeah, that's a rational question. The same way any one of us has rational problems we should look to solve. But here's the thing that we've learned is that fixating on the problem is uh, there's we have to actually override our own biology because our biology the same biology that has kept us alive for a very long time the most mature part of our neurobiology is really good at quickly reacting and seeing what's broken what's missing what's not working however when we get when we operate from that place brandon the most interesting thing is if we're not careful and we get totally fixated on what's broken what's wrong what's missing that can create a compounding level of stress, even self-doubt, and it can actually unconsciously completely disconnect us from the part of our brain that we need the most to solve the dang problem. Isn't that interesting, right? So well, how do we fix it? Well, that's what David and Ron and others over the last four decades and what we're now trying to take you know, to the next generation is how do you ask questions that don't ignore the problem but solve it faster? So the example is, Instead of asking the question, how do we fix the lost baggage problem? The airline realized, oh my gosh, there's a different question we need to ask. And so the question they asked instead was, how do we create an exceptional arrival experience? And, and anybody who's listening to this immediately realizes, oh my gosh, 
not only will that solve their lost baggage problems, but it will actually eclipse the problem because it's, it's pulling us towards excellence. It's pulling us towards, well, what's the positive opposite? What do we ultimately want? So what we don't realize is that the opposite of broken is actually not always excellent. The opposite of broken unconsciously can often just be fixed, right? So instead of saying, how do I go home and just fix my marriage or our team or our broken marketing efforts? It, it's so easy to unconsciously have that conversation. Let's consciously say, what, am I, what do we ultimately want? Well, what we want is to magnetically attract the ideal people. Okay, great. Let's start from that question. Mm -hmm. When have we done it well? Right? And what can we learn from when we've done it well? And when we haven't done it well, what can we learn from that? And if we've never even tried before, what can we learn from where we've seen other businesses do it in ways that we want to learn from? You start to get the point. You can actually fix a problem or approach an opportunity entirely from a place of strength. What uh, is working right now that no matter how we change or evolve, we want to nurture, protect, or preserve? Like, we can ask questions that learn from the past, that honor the present, that explore the future we want to create. And as you know, that's the skeleton for the framework of how we teach all this. Um, and right now is a great time of year for anybody to stop and wisely look back and not just learn from the high points. And you notice I'm saying learn from, because it's one thing to celebrate. It's even more important to learn from so that we can repeat and create and expand and multiply those high points. It's also equally important to learn from and to honor the low points, the struggles, right? And someone might say, well, that's not, doesn't sound appreciative. Well, the point is not to, uh, to deny the difficulties. Actually, we want to normalize learning from and actually finding the gifts within the lowest points. My guess is that for many of us, whether we look back on this year, our whole lives, Actually, some of the most important lessons we've learned or strengths that we've developed probably come from the most difficult situations we've been through. Um, and yet, if we never had a chance to process our difficult, darkest moments in a healthy way, then we may actually be allowing them to continue to live out or affect the present and the future in unhealthy ways, right? You and I have a mutual friend in Dr. Ben, and he's the one who taught me, like, the past can be a liability or an asset. But if we, the, the difference is what questions we ask, which usually is the difference between are we unconsciously or consciously exploring that past. So right now is a great time to be conscious about how we appreciate what we've been through over the last year. And then also imagine what do we want to be celebrating a year from now. And I'll, I'll give everybody just one small um, tool that you can use when imagining the future is number one, be very mindful of the state that we are in when we when we go through these contemplative practices so brandon you've sat through trainings where we're teaching how to do this and you're well aware of everything from the music we use to the pace at which we breathe and how do you invite people in an appropriate way into a certain state makes such a big difference that's why this resource we created it combines presencing practices like breath work and certain types of meditation with the contemplation around these questions. I think they have to go together. Mm -hmm. uh, so be in a great state. I actually like to bring my favorite questions to my favorite place where the best answers arrive, which is where I was before you and I got on, which is the middle of nature. Mm. I was in a national park that's five minutes from here, just laying on the ground, looking up in the snow covered trees. And I bring the toughest questions and she always has wonderful answers for me. Mm. Um, and then here's the next tip I'll give is, 
when inviting exploration of the future, invite every bit of our senses. So it's not just what do I want to be celebrating a year from now, if that's the time frame somebody chooses, but what will that look like? What will it sound like? And let's just, what does this mean? Well, what will it look like if we were to imagine ourselves from up above or through the eyes of others or the world that we'll see through our own eyes? You can actually take each of these senses and explore them from different dimensions. That's really cool shit <laughs> uh, because it pulls us awake to a future possibility that will give us a fuel that can sustain. What will it sound like? What are the conversations we'll have with ourselves? What will others say to us? What will we say to others? Um, what will people say about us? I mean, you can go anywhere you want. What will the soundtrack of my life be one year from now? What will we see? What will it sound like? And what will it feel like? And, and we mean this both externally and internally. Externally, like when I imagine a year from now, I want to know what does my energy feel like? I want to know how deep is my breath? I want to know how loose my body feels and how strong I feel. And I also want to know what are the emotions that are the dominant emotions? Not that I want to avoid the difficult ones. That's part of the, the richness of being a human. But what are the ones that I want to savor even a little bit more? And so anybody who's going to use the end or whenever they're listening to this, apologies if it's June, but who cares? <laughs> uh, if we're looking ahead, what do, what do we want to be celebrating? And what might it sound like, look like, feel like? That's just one way to play with the future. There's obviously others, but I hope that's of some use to make this practical for somebody. You always say you hope, John, but you know you're dropping gold. You're just being so humble. <laughs> I, I love it. It's so, so good. And I, it's funny, one of my favorite, there's three quotes that have showed up on the show over and over again. And I, I recently had an unlocking as far as my depth of understanding of one of the quotes. And I literally, I think I recorded a voice note on this this morning just to myself, but it's uh, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate by Carl Jung. And oh, wow. when, I, yeah. when, 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 I, when I thought about that a lot, the context came from what are the negative unconscious narratives that you're are driving your life that you're not fully aware of and how do you bring them to the surface? But I guess kind of combining different concepts that we're talking about from a strength-based approach, another nuance that I realized is like, oh my gosh, there's so many strong things that I'm doing that are unconscious that I'm not consciously aware of how I'm creating them in the world. So mm. what if I looked at how do I make the unconscious conscious because it will control my life and call it fate from the perspective of uncovering strengths or ways of, or nuances or things that I'm doing in the world and, and, and how I do things in a, in a level of specificity or awareness that I currently wasn't even aware of. And, and, and that I guess is just two weird blendings of two different concepts, but I think it's super powerful to um, look at that from that lens instead of the other way, which they're both powerful, but it's just a mm. recent insight that I had. <laughs> yeah. You know, something you just said, Brandon, I think, you know, what you and I, I believe have in common in a significant way is, you know, our interest, not only in curiosity, but in how curiosity can help us to learn and how that learning can be of real practical use. Right. And, you know, one of our interests is in understanding the, the science, for example, how do we actually learn, right? There's this whole domain around learning theory, whether it's experiential learning theory or otherwise. And what's interesting about what you're pointing out right there, like becoming conscious of something that was maybe unconscious is this is the power of a question, even a simple question, is that it, from a learning theory standpoint, 
it's often not until we actually ask the question, what can I learn from blank, that the learning actually reveals itself. 100%. Right? So that's why we say the future changes before the answers arrive with these questions. Because um, if we do ask them, and if we do pause long enough to listen to the answers, that's when the learning actually happens. So yeah, or even even going back, sorry to, but like going back to what the the diaper example, like how might I, how might I connect to purpose through changing my daughter's diaper right now? <laughs> you know, yeah. but like, yeah. but like that that that. So I love that. That's just so powerful. So I, sorry, yeah. I don't know if you had more thoughts to that, but but that was just no. Was so well, I'll tell you, like a game I like to play is what what question could I be asking right now, and you know, like changing the diaper, like, okay. And then I go through our mental Rolodex, right? You know, we teach all these, but it's like, okay, why is this important? Why is this meaningful? But then, you know, we can have fun with it because who, who the hell says there's some rule on what question or what type of question we have to ask, you know, we're changing the diaper. What's funny about this. What would make this terrible, right? <laughs> what will I always remember? What would I love to forget about this? Right. Um, you know, like there's, you can ask what question could I ask? and then play with noticing what happens from different answers. And, and that just becomes a muscle that can be really useful everywhere we go, right? I love that. Okay, so I, I'm being mindful of our time because we're coming up, coming up. And I told you at the end, I love asking like, what is, what is, how has curiosity impacted your life? This whole conversation has been about curiosity, but like this right here about the, the, the game of asking yourself, what question could I ask? I feel like to me is like a new unlocking for me of what it means to be beyond curious, like asking questions mm. about what types of questions I could be asking. <laughs> yeah. So, so like as one of the most curious humans that I know that has studied curiosity in depth, like any nuances that you've discovered is like literally going so deep with curiosity on how we can go beyond curious. So the nuances that you started to uncover in, in this as, as we kind of start wrapping up here, and I know you have so many examples, so I just want to make, be respectful of your time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, what's interesting for me, Brandon, is um, a lot of what our, our work has become uh, in a very personal, intimate way has been, it's kind of like medicine that I've created to, mm. you know, heal parts of myself. And uh, it's fascinating because when I was younger, I was uh, diagnosed with ADHD, right? And uh, it's like, okay, all right. So there's a label, there's an identity. I can lean into that or look for what to do about that. And one of the things that I've found is that um, curiosity for me is it's one of the healthiest and most natural remedies to uh, an experience in my mind that when I'm not mindful can be difficult. Like I have found that I am highly skilled at being distracted. And I, I actually, interestingly, have also become highly skilled at being super hyper present. So much so that that can actually be one of my great super, isn't that interesting? Like mm -hmm. that the, what can be a great superpower, I'm also highly capable at being the opposite of that. And so curiosity for me, I, I, once in a while I remind myself that, you know, we can make this all sound really complicated. It's actually just a good way of kind of um, keeping me out of trouble. Although the irony is it's probably what's gotten me into trouble, but it's gotten me out of a little more trouble than it's gotten me into. Um, but for me, Brandon, it's kind of like a saving grace. It's kind of like 
the thing that I go to when I don't remember to go to anything else mm. is, hey, uh, if I don't, something doesn't feel right, you know, I remind myself that whatever the solution is going to be, and no matter how many solutions I've studied or teachers and coaches I have, whatever the solution is going to be, it's all going to start with curiosity. It's all going to start with being curious about um, not just like what's going on out here in my business or when we facilitate these groups, but it actually all starts with an interest in becoming a student of what's going on inside of me. Um, and really what we're now talking about is some would call it mindfulness. Um, but even though at Exchange, like we've become known for this transformational facilitation training, great. Well, there has to be an equal interest in not just curiosity about facilitating groups, but our own inner world as well. And so um, I would just say that, that uh, the nuance to all this is uh, remembering to be curious within myself. And oftentimes curiosity is the tipping point from a negative to a neutral and then eventually an empowering place. Uh, and that's helpful. Neutral is a big deal. Neutral is a big deal, especially when we're dealing with really difficult things. I think trying to trying to use curiosity or any tool just to be positive can actually do more harm than good. But even just being curious for the sake of being compassionate about what's going on inside of me and how can I just give myself some compassion or grace or flexibility um, that can start to get me towards neutral and, and that can be really important sometimes. So for whatever that's worth. I love that. So good, man. This has been so powerful. John, if people are curious about where they can find out more about you and your work with community building and facilitation and how they can leverage your models to be even more curious, what are, what are some ways that they can continue to check out you and your world? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. And as you know, we run, uh, you know, we ran it four times in 2023. I don't know what we'll do next year, either three or four times. We're deciding, always looking at what makes sense. Um, but we run uh, every several months uh, a three-day immersion training that we call the Online Exchange Experience. And if anybody wants to go to X, the letter X, the word changeapproach.com, they can find us and check us out there. There's some free resources, workshops that we run if they want to learn about what we do. Um, and, oh, and I mentioned earlier that um, that video and that worksheet that Adair created the other day, mm -hmm. uh, I'll put it at this URL, xchangeapproach.com forward slash reflect. And okay. uh, that'll lead to that for anyone who wants to use that. So there you go. Sweet. Amazing. Well, Man, I just want to take a second and appreciate you for listening. So obviously go check out 3-Day Immersion Training OXE. I could not endorse it enough. Like seriously, go do start with one of the free workshops, but I, I went to the 3-Day Full Immersion. It was just amazing. So if this stuff has been tickling your brain about how to ask more effective questions and change the future from uh, asking more questions, like man, this is perfect for you. But really quick, I want to have a conversation with you listening. I just want to say you could be so many different places, but you chose to be here and you're still listening to my voice right now. And for that, I am just beyond grateful for you. And I just want to say that podcasts have absolutely changed my life. And there's so much gold that is inside of this episode that could absolutely change someone else's life. So whether it was uh, John's early stories of like 
literally hiding out in the library because he felt like he he didn't want to be seen to the work that he's doing today, facilitating transformational workshops all over the world, or how you can ask purpose-based questions before you show up, or how you can ask questions that that literally change the future before uh, the, the the answer arrives. I think I screwed up your poetic use of that. There's so much gold in here. That was well done. That was great. <laughs> was okay. So, so um, th there's so much gold in here. My ask is that if you heard something today that, that, that tickled your brain is that you just take a second to share this with one friend. It would make, it would make my day. It would make John's day. And uh, you may never know. It may completely change your life and you may never hear back from it. So, so grateful for you being here. And uh, John, any final things that you want to say before we head off today? Stay curious. Mm. Mic drop. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, John. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Take care, Brandon. Thank you.